Good morning, everyone. Good to see you all. Uh, I want to start with an admission to you. If you know me uh, pretty well, maybe this won't come as a surprise, but for those of you who don't know me, uh, welcome to the show. Uh, but the, ad- the admission is that I do not like confrontation. Is anyone else like that? You would just rather... Some people are amazing at confrontation. Do you know these people? They're, they live for it. Like, that's their thing. You know, they're looking for the reason to confront somebody. Do you know these people? Those of you who are quiet, it's you, okay? I just want to point that out. Uh, if you're like, I don't know anybody like that, and all your friends are looking at you, that is you. But some people love it. Um, they are fighters, and when they see something wrong or something unjust, then they confront it, and that's a good thing. Some people are just better at it as a skill, like a toned-up skill. It's a very uh, powerful thing to be able to confront somebody in a skillful way. There are two of us that work here on this uh, church staff, myself and Lindsay, and Lindsay is the confronter. Uh, And so if something goes wrong... Uh, with, you know, we're doing renovations around the building. If something happens that needs to be dealt with, I ignore it. (laughs) I don't want to talk to the builder. I don't want to talk to the cabinet guy because, A, I don't know know what I'm talking about, you know. But she is much more comfortable at saying, actually, this is not what we're paying for, which I I appreciate that because we are paying for it. Uh, But again, if it were up to me, everything would be really, um, well, terrible. So some people are just very good at, hey, I need to bring something to your attention, and we we work through it and get it fixed. Some people, like me, work overtime to avoid confrontation. This doesn't mean I don't have difficult conversations. I've had to learn to do that in uh, in my life, but I, I more times than not work overtime to avoid those things. Like, when I first heard about the practice of ghosting someone, <laughs> I was all ears. <laughs> it's like, well, what is that? What, you said ghosting. What is that? And they would explain it. And I would go, that sounds amazing. <laughs> Anybody with me on that? <laughs> like someone makes you mad, someone does something, you're just like, you know what? They can just, they're gone. They can just disappear. <laughs> so that sounded great to me, right up my alley. And my guess is that most of you in this room would rather not have to deal with difficult confrontations with people, of having to talk with someone uh, directly about an issue uh, standing between the both of you. Most of us don't want to find ourselves in that situation. But the question remains, but what if healing and moving forward requires it. Sometimes it doesn't, but what if it does? What if healing and reconciliation are possible and we avoid that? What does that mean, you know? And how do we react when we're confronted with that situation? And our gospel reading for today, as you heard Tana just read, and really the one for next week as well, and the one from last week, and the one from the week before, they all have ushered us into these very difficult situations. 
you know, where faith is difficult, uh, life is difficult, people are difficult, amen? People are very difficult. The church would, the church, my favorite phrase is the church works on paper, you know, but it's when we all show up that we sort of mess that up. And so it's very interesting that our gospel readings over the last few weeks and today and next week, they, they usher us into this uh, arena where things are difficult. And this week and next week have to do with the difficulty of forgiveness and mercy. And they usher us into those hard realities of human conflict and maybe even possible injury. And one of the beautiful things about what Jesus does in the reading that you just heard is that he outlines a kind of protocol for dealing with these difficult situations. He starts by saying, if someone has sinned against you, if someone has done something to you that has hurt you, and the verb here for sin has to do with, um, there's no list given, by the way. Jesus just, in general, if someone sins against you, but the word, the verb there has to do with missing the mark, to blow it in some way. There's a sense of injury or being let down or even overlooked, ignored. I mean, you could just fill in the blank. It doesn't, it's just any sort of thing that misses the mark in terms of what relationships should be. So call it what you want, but this is the word Jesus uses, and it has to do with we don't always treat each other well. Is that correct? We are humans. We have a way of hurting people. We have a way of overlooking people. We have a way of ignoring people or lessening their dignity. We all, we all do this to some degree, whether we mean to or whether we don't mean to. And so Jesus begins this teaching by saying, when that happens, when someone has let you down, when they've missed the mark for relationships, and again, there's no special sin or list that he gives, but the tone is a very simple one. Someone has let you down or even caused pain, hurt, and this is a normal part of relationships. So when someone sins against you, it's important to keep in mind that we are capable of this too. It's very easy for us to make a list of the people who have wronged us or who have upset us in some way. But we also are a part of someone else's list. You recognize that, correct? That no one in this room is immune to dropping the ball, to missing the mark. No one is immune to sin, as the Bible would call it. No one is immune to blowing it in relationships. It's funny, you know, I talked about I don't like confrontation, but like, um, we have this dog. Um, her name is Zelda, and she's a dachshund. And she is amazing on the one hand and very annoying on the other hand. And uh, what we say a lot with our dachshund is she can no longer have nice things, meaning a chew toy or a dog bed. We bought her this dog bed in the shape of the friend's couch. Thank you very much. And uh, we thought it would be a thing. We would connect on it. You know what she did to it? She just chewed it up, pulled all the foam out, threw it all over the living room floor, and uh, Mickey and I are sitting there just looking at the mess on the floor going, 
And the thing is, I get upset at the dog, but it's a dog. I can't confront the dog. When the dog, you know, when a dog sins against you, you know, there's nothing I can do. There's nothing I can say to it other than, no. And Zelda's just like, what do you got next? What's next? Give me something to chew on to destroy. So you know who ends up arguing? It's just me and Mickey. Because she's the other human in the room, and so we're like, this dog always, you know, that kind of thing that we do. So it's not about things that aren't possible, but Jesus is talking about real life when someone injures you in some way or has sinned against you. And he goes on to say something quite remarkable. He basically tells us to go and talk to that person privately. When you are alone, he says. And this is where I fail the most because it's just easier to talk to somebody else, right? I mean, this is what we all do, isn't it? I hope so. I hope I'm not the only one in the room. But Jesus talks about going and just talking to that person in private. But notice what Jesus is constructing. It's this arena of safety and privacy. Our nature might be to return the wrongdoing in kind. To, if someone snubbed us, we'll snub them. If someone said something that hurt us, we'll say something to hurt them. If someone forgot about us, then we'll just conveniently forget about them. The list goes on. So our nature might be to return the wrongdoing in kind, or maybe instead just to run to others and complain. But that usually leads to more pain, to more separation, more distance, and obviously bitterness grows in those arenas. The longer I ignore my friend who has said something or done something to injure me, the more bitterness can grow. And I would say this too. Uh, most people really don't want to hurt other people. Most. <laughs> I leave that provision in there just in case. But most people don't want to hurt other people, and everyone's behavior is very normal to them. I had a behavioral scientist tell me that years ago. Everybody's behavior is normal to them. So it's good to keep that in mind. That when someone says something or does something to them, it's the right and normal thing to do or to think. And so it's normal to them, and that's a blind spot in all of our lives that can only be fixed within a community of healing. It's like when people say, I don't need anybody to tell me how to live my life. Those are scary people because they are blind to the normalcy of their behavior, which might be inflicting pain. Or those who say no regrets, it's pretty scary if you think about it. It leaves a lot of people in the wake. But Jesus posits this very uncomfortable idea of, why don't you just go talk to them? Why don't you just, they're your friend, go talk to them. And the privacy of this protocol is to avoid embarrassment and shame 
our tendency, especially in our world today where we can voice whatever we want on so many different platforms, our tendency is to publicly shame, some, shame someone as a way of dealing with something, you know? But Jesus puts this protocol in place to avoid that. What Jesus is doing, by the way, is rooted in this Jewish understanding of reconciliation, which I'll talk about in a moment. And part of that has to do with avoiding shame on the person who has wronged you. Wanting the best for them. To publicly shame someone is to venture away from the world and the church that Jesus is imagining. And Jesus says this thing about regaining when you speak to someone about where there's been a difference or an injury and there's healing that takes place. He says, you have gained that one. This has to do with the story that he told before this passage about the lost sheep, about regaining someone who has strayed. So that's the context. But for us, the aim in this teaching is simple, and it's healing. Jesus is interested in relational healing. There are other steps that Jesus gives in this teaching, and they are deeply rooted, again, in this Jewish cultural and time-stamped protocol for reconciliation, uh, rooted in some Old Testament texts. This is how they, in every ancient society, had a way to deal with wrongdoers. And the Jewish people had their own as well, but the aim was reconciliation. And so Jesus gives all these steps, but to read each of those steps as hard and, a hard and fast checklist, I have to do it this way and this way only, is really to miss the larger and more important point, which is healing. Say the word healing. That's the aim that Jesus is going for. And I do think the first step of going to someone is the most important. And in the church that Jesus is imagining, avoidance and ghosting and ignoring and a slow-growing resentment, those things are not ideal. Now, I want to say a word about boundaries. Some of you have probably been sitting here going, yeah, but some people have really hurt me, and it's uncomfortable for me to approach them. And I want to say, as an act of grace, that's okay. You're not required to deal with someone who has caused great pain in your life. This is not a command, but a way. These are pathways towards reconciliation. And what I understand from my own life, and you understand this too, is that sometimes that's not possible. Sometimes there are people in our lives that there's no moving. And depending on how you read Jesus' words in this text, there is a provision for boundaries. If someone refuses to admit their wrongdoing, if someone refuses to say, I'm sorry, if someone refuses to acknowledge that, there is room and a provision <laughs> for boundaries. <laughs> They're definitely not doing the same Bible story I'm doing. But what Jesus is addressing here are those situations, and this is what I want you to hear, 
He's addressing those situations where forgiveness and reconciliation are possible. You know, sometimes it's not. But sometimes it is. And that's important to know. And then he closes this teaching with maybe one of the most misused verses of Scripture where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am also. One of the first churches I worked at, they did a Sunday night service. And it was terrible. There was the Sunday morning thing, and then five and a half hours later, we all came back to the building, staff, and then like seven or eight people. And um, the associate pastor was like dead set on making sure that this was a good thing. He, was, he preached every Sunday night to seven of us. Uh, do you remember this, Mickey? Yeah, it's terrible, wasn't it? But the real reason we got together, and this was from the lead pastor who was this older man who I loved, and I wrote down everything he said because it was funny. Um, he said, we only meet here before we go to Johnny's Pizza. This is just the meeting before we go out to eat, right? And I remember, and it was true, we would leave that service, and we were like, okay, let's go eat and eat this off. Let's eat this thing off. And I remember being in a staff meeting, very young, one of my first churches, very young, and just saying, is it, is it really necessary for us to do a Sunday night service uh, with seven or eight people? Is that really necessary? Can we do something else? And he said to me, where two or three are gathered in my name, with that accent, by the way. And I think at the time, I was like, well, that's true, I guess. You know, can't argue with that. It's like when someone says, I'll pray about it. You're like, well, okay. I still need you to work the nursery. Can you pray about that? No need to pray about it. I just told you what we need. You know, but it's like, I think at the time, I was like, well, yeah, okay, I get it. But when we really get into this passage, what Jesus is talking about is that he is present when people are pursuing healing. That Jesus is in the midst of these attempts that we make to reconcile. Amen? That when we are doing the work of healing and moving forward this is a Jesus thing Jesus is saying to his disciples and to us when you pursue healing I'm right in the middle of that right I am right in the heart of that pursuit and so I just want to say to you uh, and next week is worse it's just so come back um, it gets harder but I would, I would say as your pastor, don't be afraid of this text. It's actually quite beautiful. And there's actually a lot of provision in here for healing and keeping people from being embarrassed. But also some things for us to think about too. How do I handle those in my life that aren't always good to me? And so I would ask that you consider those things. But most importantly... You leave this room knowing 
that when Jesus said, where two or three are gathered, it is not about, well, no one came to the potluck, but that's okay. It's about healing and restoration. Amen. Gonna get back to basics. I guess I'll start it up again. I'm falling from the ceiling. You're falling from the sky. Shut